Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Drumforge. Drumforge is a forward-thinking developer of audio tools and software for musicians and producers alike. Founded on the idea that great drum sounds should be obtainable for everyone, we focus on your originality. Drumforge, it's your sound. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Joey Sturges Forum Podcast. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Awesome. awesome. We have our good friend. Awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. You're awesome, dude. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> well, I've known you for a grand total of like 20 minutes now, and I think you're awesome. So, Well, we've we've known each other longer than that. You just don't know it. We, we talked on the internet before. Yeah. We, we've, we've shot a few conversations here and there from that, that forum we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. I don't know what you're even talking about. But have you guys exactly. dated well, on that Exactly. What? Have you guys dated on the internet, though? We dated each other. Yeah, we all we almost <laughs> did. That was a good. That was a good rebuttal there. Yeah, we almost did. I I mean that's what I thought. That's what you meant, right? Do you want to talk about that on the show? <laughs> yeah, I thought that we were. That's pretty personal. Yeah, but I thought we were hey. ke- keeping. Hey, this to some audio. people have their limits. And some people have their barriers. You know, <laughs> I just like to try and cross them. Okay, <laughs> make an interesting show out of it. Yeah. All right. Well, that said, um, it was short. And I don't remember much of it. That's why I thought we were only friends for about 10 minutes. Right, right. Okay. You, you say, you, however it works out in your head, that's fine. Yeah, well, this is, uh, for anyone who's wondering, this is uh, Kevin from Dillinger Escape Plan and uh, Backdoor Studios. Backroom Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking edit, oh, edit that. Man. No, keep that in oh, there. No, you got to leave that, man. That's, All right. that's like the 30th time that's happened in my life. So yeah, that, that's I was good. reading it, too. I was reading it, and it, that just came out. He took it well. You got to give him <laughs> Well, that. he's used to it, I'm sure. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing. But, We're actually in the middle of a name change and a merger, but... For the time being, we'll keep it with back door studio. <laughs> Can you say what you're changing it to, or who you're merging with, or is that all? Uh... Uh, it's not a massive secret. We're we're going to be changing it to Party Smasher Studios for the recording aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we already have like the sign built in there and stuff like that, so it's not like super hush hush. But we haven't really come out with the whole change yet. But it's going to happen soon. That's actually cool yeah it's 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 better it's a better name for sure uh, i've always had trouble with the name backroom studios because i inherited the name and i just chose to keep it which was stupid and uh we're gonna leave the rehearsal aspect of it as backroom and keep the recording and video aspect of it as party smasher yeah and if anybody's wondering i'm familiar with party smasher but uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about why Party Smasher is cool, because I'm sure some people listening to this don't know what Party Smasher is. Yeah, it's a uh, it's right now. Uh, it's going to be expanding a lot in the in in the time to come. But right now, it's just kind of a blog. They do a lot of articles. Uh, it's run by Ben uh, from Dillinger, the guitar player, and uh, it's it's a lot of articles on like really interesting stuff in in media and and music culture and. Like you know, actors, all kinds of stuff. It's a it's a large gamut of stuff, but uh, it's really interesting stuff. They pick really fun people to interview, like Mike Patton, some actors and shit like that. And uh, yeah, it's neat. So smart it's, people. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like cool DIY type stuff. Interesting. Ben's uh, I've only talked to Ben online a couple times, but he's a super smart dude. Yeah, I've learned a lot of my business savvy from him. He's like he's like one of my best friends, and you know. He used to teach me guitar back in the day, too. 
was he uh, in Dillinger when they first was? Is he an original founding member? He is the only original member. Okay, so I saw Dillinger when they were on what I think is their first tour uh, with Mr. Bungle. Am I right about that? Was that the uh, first U.S. That's, tour? That's a long time ago. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's way I know. It's like for sure. Well, uh, they kind of blew my mind because uh, back then you that kind of music didn't exist yet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was no such thing as like uh, minor seconds everywhere and odd time and like you know. Oh, and total insanity. So it was kind of a mind blowing thing, and it was just like, wow, I bet you that this is going to turn into a thing. <laughs> so, yeah, the singer didn't stick around for long, though. I mean, I know that. Yeah, Dimitri, they parted ways uh, after that calculating infinity record. So uh, you just joined how long ago? I know that it's, I've got a time warp for the past few years, but uh, so I, it feels like. <laughs> like two months ago to me, but I'm sure it was like three years ago now or something. <laughs> uh, it was last year early, like about right, like a little bit around this time last year where we were going through the audition process. It was a long process. I've known the guys for a long time now. Um, well, you used like to I tech said, I, for them, right? Yeah. I used to be their guitar tech and stuff like that too. So there, there's, it's like, it's a very weird story about how it came out, but you know, I weaseled my way in essentially. Care to explain? <laughs> Uh, sure. Um, let's see if I could do this whole thing, like the, the skinny version of it. Well, uh, with- the, think about it in terms of uh, somebody listening to this show who plays guitar and wants to do a studio and is looking for ways in. And one of, you know, I think one of the best ways in is to get into a band because totally. people will record with you if you're in a band. So yeah. just from the perspective of like a up and coming producer or whatever, like slash guitarist. And maybe you could explain it from that perspective. Sure, totally. Uh, and I actually I tell all my interns that too. Is like if you really want to get anywhere in this in this industry, you have to play some kind of music. You have to be involved in some scene of some kind. Otherwise, you're just like, who's gonna trust you with their music if you're not actually doing what they want to do? You know, it's 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 definitely a, a massive thing to to be involved in the scene, but. So I used to play in a band called Knife the Glitter for many years, and it's kind of like Dillinger-esque type thing. You know, we were hugely influenced by them. It's like super spazzy, crazy time signature stuff. Is it true that you guys have been working on an album for eight years? <laughs> we see, we started with those songs. I think we wrote those anywhere from like around 2007. We started recording it in 2009, and we're finally getting to mixing it now. <laughs> I just don't care. I just like, I'm my band. Track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. My band is like constantly up my ass about it. I'm like, you're not paying me to do this, and I don't have any free time to do this. And you know, none of us here in our free time wants to mix. You know, it's like right. we do it all day for 14 hours. Like we want to go mix in our free time. I don't think so. <laughs> my uh, this guy I work with, John Douglas. Um, he does a lot of engineering for me. He's got a band called From Exile. And uh, John is super busy, and his co-dude uh, in the band is, like, in the contortionist. So they, like, never have time to do anything. They recorded the drums with me for the album literally three and a half years ago. And <laughs> they're still not done with guitars. 
Oh man, so sounds like another <laughs> band I, uh, that we we both know. Oh yeah, yeah, but that's that's been done for eighteen months. But uh, I know at least. Yeah, right? yeah, it's been done for a while. But uh, okay, sorry. Continue, continue. Oh okay, uh, we should go back to that though, because then we can uh, yeah. we can I go knock on his door and we can bring him in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, we, I was playing in that band, and I was going to school for audio engineering, and I, I wanted nothing to do with audio engineering at the time. Like, everybody in the class was like, oh, what do you want to do when you, when you get out of here? I was like, oh, I want to mix, or I want to join this big-ass studio, and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, I just want to play on the road, and I have really no aspirations of doing the audio thing. It was just kind of a thing, because my parents at the time were like, you have to go to college. And I was like, all right, fine. So I did that. And uh, it was actually way harder than I thought it was going to be. It was a, it was like, I, you couldn't pay me to go back to school. It was brutal, <laughs> especially doing like classical guitar at the same time as the audio engineering class was, of course, it was pretty, uh, ugh, it was awful. But um, yeah, you can't fake your way through classical guitar. No, I tried though. <laughs> I, definitely, I definitely tried <laughs> really hard. To do. Yeah, I, there, was, uh, there was these juries at the end of every semester. You had to sit in front of a panel of judges like the teachers and stuff, and you had to play these songs, and they had all the sheet music in front of them, and you had to read the sheet music and play the parts. So the first few times, I did, like, typical, like, Bach, Bray, or whatever, like, you know, the regular standard crap. And the thing that sucks about that is it's about all about not just hitting the notes, but the inflection and the expression of that stuff. So it's really tough. But so then one the last time I was like, I'm going to do something so ridiculous that no one is going to be able to follow it. And it's just if I mess up, it doesn't matter. So I picked this Takata that was like it just sounded like a Dillinger Escape Plan song, but it was like 10 minutes long. <laughs> I don't I honestly think I blacked out halfway through because I don't remember what happened. But I think they just told me to stop after a while. <laughs> it just sounds literally like I was hitting random notes. That's how ridiculous it was. Uh, but they passed me. <laughs> for wow. some reason, I don't know why. Okay, that's the new strategy. <laughs> Just to get you out the door? Probably. It's like, all right, all right, fine, get, get out of here. This is terrible. It's definitely music <laughs> they did not like, for sure. But So do you use that classical vibrato when you play electric now, or did you have to relearn vibrato for electric? Um, I think I, I still use the same similar technique. I honestly was never, in my opinion, very good at classical guitar. I just had to like get through it. Like The dudes in that school... It's, it's mainly like a jazz program, and the dudes in that jazz program, they pick like two people a year to pass, and the, everybody else I tell to go home. It's not like Berkeley where they accept everybody. Oh, yeah, they uh, definitely do accept everybody. Yeah, well, it's a great business move because they just take everyone's money, and then they just all drop out. <laughs> that school is I'm, rich. Yeah, I mean, when you charge that much and you have that many people, it's, it's, it's a great marketing scheme. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, I had to try out twice for the program, and I, I failed the first time, and... Another guy who was a buddy of mine, he was trying out, was way better than me, and he failed three times. I don't know what happened, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a crushing guitar player, even today. I feel like on those entrance exams at schools, a lot of it depends on how if the dude grading you or the panel likes you personally or not. Because uh, I went through a few of those when I first got to Berkeley. And the first time I went through those, the people clearly didn't like me, didn't like that I wasn't a jazz player. So mm-hmm. they gave me, Berkeley has a one through seven sis- okay. point system. Like sevens, like it's in every category, like reading, improvisation, technique, like all this shit. And it's, you know, if you're seven, you're God. If you're mm-hmm. one, you suck. And so I, I, was, I would say I was a five when I got there. 
but I had done a lot of work on guitar before I got there. And first panel, fuckers hated me, <laughs> so gave me twos across everything. Uh, and put me, put me with people who like literally had been playing guitar for like six months. Like I had already been playing for like years and was like good. And mm. uh, so yeah, I'm with like dudes who like remember in the late. I don't know if you guys remember, but like there was an era where lead guitar was not cool at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like the absolutely. early two thousands, late nineties. Yeah, that's when I learned how to play guitar. Okay, so yeah, so putting me in with a bunch of people who hadn't played guitar much meant being around people who were really, really underachievers. But then the next time I took the panels, I got all fives like I thought I should. Uh, So I don't know. I kind of feel like it's, uh, are the teachers hungover? Do they like you? Like, what is it? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You too much beard for them. Uh, Yeah, maybe. Did you have a beard back then? Yeah, of course. I've had a beard since I was born. I was born with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you failed, and then you didn't fail. Right, right. So I eventually got on the program. I mean, that's that's a long. That's we don't need to put that in here. But yeah, that's that's what happened. And then I was in the program, going through it, um, and uh, I was playing in that band at the same time. And we had always just practiced in like the singer's garage or the bass player's garage or a garage. We never at this point of playing the band for like seven years or something had ha- ever had to pay for, for rehearsal. So we got kicked out of our bass player's parents, uh, garage at this point because they moved out to the woods, be alone and have like solitude. And all we would do is just bring awful sounding noise every weekend. So we couldn't really argue with that. So we were like, what do we do? We started asking friends like what the in bands like what did they do you know for rehearsal and they they brought up this studio that was actually within walking distance of our first rehearsal place that we used to jam in, which is weird and we never really went there. It was for sale and the guy was putting in a recording studio into it too. So I was like, holy shit, this is an awesome awesome thing. And they were like, oh yeah, our buddy Dion is gonna buy it. So I called up Dion and I was like, hey, man, are you really going to buy that place? Because we need a place to rehearse. And he was like, no, you know, like I'm going to pass on it. I'm going to buy a house instead. And I was like, all right, cool. So I called the owner and I was like, hey, man, what's the deal? And the dude was the worst. <laughs> he's like he was he's like a crazy cokehead dude that like I can't explain it to you unless you ever met him. But he, he's the kind of guy. How old is he? He's older. He's like, I mean, at that, at that time, he was probably like almost 50 or something. And this is from an older school rock yeah. generation burnout. Yeah, yeah, but like, but burnout, but like on like a new age, like, uh, re, like born again type thing or something. So he would just bust into your rehearsal room mid jam and just talk to you for an hour and you couldn't escape. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, there's nothing you could do. You just had to sit there, like, stop your song and he, just entertain him because he owned the place. And everybody would tell me this constantly. Rehearsal Punisher. Yeah, he was pretty bad, man. He was really bad. Uh, so Dillinger was actually like the first band to ever rehearse in his space. So the lore at the time when I was when I was growing up was that Dillinger, you know, rehearsed there, but you know, you couldn't go there because it was like private kind of thing. So um, they were when I took over that studio eventually, they were still there, and that's how I kind of reconnected with the band because Ben had given me guitar lessons like years ago in college. But then he went on tour and stuff like that, and we kind of like lost lost contact. And then we reconnected back at the studio, and then I was playing in that same band, and he had heard us play, and he liked it. So he took us out on tour, just the three of us, because uh, we were three-piece. And it was pretty rad because they had a big bus, and they were like, 
we didn't have anything. So they were like, you guys want to just crash on our bus for the tour and like you can do merch for us or whatever and like help us out and that, and, you know, and you can stay on the bus. So it was like the best situation possible. We couldn't really say no to it. Nice first tour. <laughs> well, it wasn't our first tour, but it was oh, okay. the first like first real, real tour. First, yeah, beneficial tour. We tried. We toured with like bands like Psyopus. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, I've toured with them a few times actually. Okay, back in. So you, so you know Chris and the guys. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I've known a few different lineups. I got to watch the one lineup that imploded on stage when Chris and the singer got into a fist fight. That the, was it. The, the I can't remember his name. The shorter guy. The short guy that looked like yeah. a pirate. Yep, yep, dude. That guy was an animal. <laughs> he would just get cry, like drunk as shit at like bars and stuff. I don't know if I probably shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's in, I don't think he's in the scene anymore. I just remember, okay. I remember touring with him and the shows would get rowdy and he would literally just bring people on stage and beat the shit out of them. Yeah, that dude was definitely like had something going on. But yeah, he was like 5 foot 5. Yeah. But, and he was like he was but he was like flipping people over and stuff. It was amazing. It was like a miniature incredible hulk. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, and then the band had a like a fight on stage. Oh wow! Eventually, that's, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that guy would. He was like when he was quiet and like at nighttime when we like you know we'd find a place to crash and like sleep in someone's like couch or whatever and we'd talk. He was like super nice and super calm, but like when he like would drink or like during the shows, it was like a it was like the Hulk. It was so like different person and. uh we were, I specifically remember we were at this like like biker like Nazi bar or some weird <laughs> venue that we were at in the middle of nowhere, and he was totally hammered and he was like starting shit with all these dudes and we had to like pull him away and be like, dude, don't please don't do this. <laughs> this is not a good idea. You you really do meet some uh, rowdy people when you yeah. get out there. Yeah, it's something that I feel like I like uh, I didn't appreciate it while I was touring so much because mm-hmm. I was so busy focusing on touring but yeah. like in real life i don't meet that many rowdy motherfuckers <laughs> <laughs> well do you ever get out of your apartment in the first place oh, i just mean in the past five years of being like all studio and all our internet stuff and everything like yeah i mean like yeah i mean clearly you're not well, gonna end up at a nazi bar in west virginia <laughs> if you're in if you stay in your studio all the time <laughs> Joel, you, you've toured. You've you've seen some interesting things as well, right? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, South America. I could go on for hours about oh, some of the stuff South that happened. Oh, you did South America? Uh, we're going there in, next month in April. Tell me all about Where it. Where are you going? Uh, I should pull up the itinerary. I don't know. I know Ch- Chile's in there. Oh, yeah. Okay, I've been to Chile. And um, I was in Peru, Chile, Bolivia, and uh, Ecuador for a day in Ecuador. Mostly in Peru, though. And it, it is so freaking wild down there. Like, I don't know if anybody works because they're always at the bar. Like They'll be at the bar until close at 5 or 6 in the morning, and then you'll come back after you kind of sleep a few hours later, and they're still at the bar, and then they're there all night, and just like no one ever leaves the bar. Oh, it's wow. th- the craziest thing. <laughs> they're all like coked up and drunk, and it's, it's just wild, man. It's a fun place to go. Everybody's really, really friendly. They love their metal down there. You know, like they'll all get in a arm lock and do like a line headbang and shit. It's, it's wild. It's like wow. stepping into another era almost. Yeah. Like I, I had, I remember one guy, okay, this, this is crazy. So we're playing in Ecuador and there's this dude just kind of like, you know, throwing metal signs at us and flailing his hand, pumping it. And he like smacks his finger on the edge of the, 
a stage, right? And it's wood because I mean, we're at like some dive bar where they cram like 200 people into a, a space that would be fire code 75 in America. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty intense, you know, and it's like 100 degrees in there. And so this guy's just gushing blood all over. Like he cut himself down to the bone. He's flicking blood everywhere. So they finally pull him out. He goes and gets stitches. He comes back and he fucking does it again. And we're like, all right, this guy's got to go, man. He's, he's like on some kind of crazy drugs and he's, he's going he's gonna to like infect us with AIDS from drug needles. Like we got to get out of here. It was, it was just shit like that happened all the time. It was a lot of fun. Oh man. So apparently we're going to Argentina, uh, Chile and Brazil. I think, I think those are the three. I've never been to Brazil or Argentina, but, uh, Chile is really, really not awesome. Everybody down there is really friendly culturally. It's, it's a really fun place to visit and the people just love metal and will embrace you with open arms. And I mean, I was in like a shitty local band back then too. So we just got hit up by a promoter. He's like, you want to come down and tour South America? We're like, fuck yeah. And we just did it. That's awesome. They just like put your flyers all over the streets and you know, they'll come and they'll fill up the venues and uh, you know, only in South America can dark funeral headline and bring 3000 people. (laughs) Oh shit. I went there with dark funeral and literally they would bring like 3000 people. And it's like, how is this possible? <laughs> okay, so Iron Maiden in Manowar, the two biggest bands down there. Like you, at least they were when I went. That was 2004. But all my friends that are still down there that I talked to, I'm sure to, they still are. Yeah, dude. Like I remember one night we went to the bar in Lima in a place. It's called Club Crypto in Miraflores, and it's the awesomest metal bar I've ever been into. It's so much fun, and it was always packed every night we were there. It was kind of like our home base. And then like we went there one night, and there was just one dude other than the bartender, like laying there on his arm, literally crying. And we're like, what happened to that guy? And the bartender's like, oh, dude, Iron Maiden's in Chile. And he saved up his whole salary for two months to go. And he missed the bus because he passed out and got drunk. (laughs) (laughs) The dude sat there and cried about missing Iron Maiden at the table all night. Like he just, you go like, you couldn't even talk to the guy. You're like, dude, let's have a beer. And he was just like, no, like his life was decimated and ruined because he missed an Iron Maiden show in Chile. And we were just like, that's metal as fuck. You, I mean, it was so much. You just answered a long-standing question I've always had about South American shows, which is how do they afford the concert tickets? Because they don't buy merch. They can't afford T-shirts at ten bucks. Well, they buy bootleg merch, but I. Yeah. But like, I know what those, how much money those people make in general in those countries, and it's very, very little, and the tickets are very expensive, so they save up for months. Yeah, they that do, the and answer. it's like an event for them, so they go see the concert they want to, and that's like their vacation for the year. Again, like I said, I don't know if anybody actually works down there, right? Just 24 hours a day partying, but uh, man, it was, it, it was it's a great place to go. It's just so much fun, and we had so many positive memories, and all the people there were really, really friendly, so you're going to have a lot of fun. Cool, cool. If we make it back. <laughs> I would fine. just suggest not like uh, no shanty towns. Don't go leaving your hotel at night and stuff. Yeah, and stay away from groups of like eighty kids, dude. They'll mob you and rob you and shit. And <laughs> yeah, I, they told us all these crazy stories down there that scared the shit out of us. And we're like, okay, but I mean, the thing is, everybody's like five feet tall down there, yeah. and the guy in my band is like was like six two, and he had his head shaved, and he was just a really mean looking dude, even though he's like the nicest guy. So like, he was this towering figure. So I'm like, all right, we're good. We didn't have any problem. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the other thing I would say is, um, I don't know, I'm just going to say be aware that uh, your bus 
unless you're are you flying from place to yeah, place? It's, it's so there's no date. bus at all. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think it'll probably just be a hotel type thing. Okay, good. Forth. I was gonna say if there is a bus at any point, just be well aware that you're gonna get boarded by the military a few times and by the cops as well. Yeah, yeah, that happens. <laughs> They're looking for stuff. I bet. Probably. Yeah, they definitely are. It's uh, really fun. All right, so uh, we keep on veering off because because. Uh, <laughs> Just cause. This has been a fun episode. That's yeah, okay. I'm, I'm having a Tour great stories, time. Man, yeah. Shit. Yeah. So basically, wear a full body condom on stage so you don't get AIDS. But uh, so, all right. So finger flick the blood AIDS. So you're going to South America, but uh, so he took you on tour, and you had done shitty tours before that. That's your first like real tour, right? We did uh, this one we called Disaster Tour, which was like with another local band. We went out to California, and we almost didn't make it back because our vehicle broke down, and it was diesel. No. no Nobody could work on it for some reason. We had no idea that was a thing until then. Oh, yeah. The things you learn. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's honestly, <laughs> like I wouldn't, like it was a terrible tour. We didn't get paid almost ever. We lost a ton of money, but I wouldn't change anything about it because it's such a growing experience. It's, it's just rad to have. Like, I, I always think back to that, you know? You so. have to put in that time, in my opinion, as a band. Yeah. Uh, it's the same exact concept as being an intern at a studio or uh or being in the mailroom at a corporation or whatever it's just the you have to do that entry-level shit and grow that hair on your balls in order to be able to actually handle real situations when they come up when you're in a bigger band because the situ i've noticed the situations that come up don't get any less bad they actually get worse Mm -hmm. and the stakes are way higher and uh I I think that only I've only really seen bands who have gone through a really good uh, DIY touring phase really be able to handle that in a mature way. Sure, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. And then so after I guess that whole thing with the, the tour with them, at that point I remember specifically sitting in our rehearsal room, which was the the shitty like dungeony AC room of the studio but because <laughs> I, I was i'm a partner with my dad in the, in the studio and that was the rule was like we can get a free rehearsal room and i could get a free rehearsal room in my own studio but but uh wait wait wait, wait. so <laughs> yeah okay so all right so i heard your dad has a sick haunted house <laughs> How did you hear that? Yeah, I, I, I'm thorough. Um, <laughs> That's but, uh, pretty amazing. You should see it at Christmas time. It has like 80,000 Christmas lights on it. Yeah, I, I heard it's it. It's kind of ridiculous. I do, I do my research. Um, right. But uh, so you guys went in on the studio together? Yeah, I mean, I was just fresh out of college. And I had actually, in the beginning, asked him about like, you know, like getting a... Because he has like a rental property where, you know, he rents out the house to a bunch of tenants and stuff like that. So I was like, hey, maybe like... You know, I we can get another one in the same area, and I could live there, so I don't have to live home, and uh, I could pay you back with the money I get from the other tenants, and blah blah. blah. So everybody wins, and he was like, "I don't really want to do that for you. I don't really want you to do that in life." And I was like, "Okay." He's like, "I'd be more interested if you wanted to do like a business thing." So I was like, "All right." So I started looking at businesses, and uh, then the studio thing, like it all happened at the same time. So we went in on the business together, and he's kind of like the silent partner. I just do everything. But uh, yeah, that was the deal. Was I? I we can, we're allowed to have a, a free practice room, 
<laughs> but it had to be the shittiest. Like, and all the rooms, all the walls are concrete, and it just sounded terrible, especially for that kind of music. So, and is your dad a musician or no, just a good dad? He's just a really good dude. He like knows nothing about music. If I asked him who Freddie Mercury was, he wouldn't have a clue. He wouldn't have, like anything. He knows nothing about music. Okay, but he knows about buying property. And- yes, he knows about business. Okay, <laughs> and cool. he, he he was cool. He trusted me in the whole thing because it's it's a very foreign thing for him to like invest in a music studio, you know. So. Yeah, it worked out really well, though, for both of us. Well, just so people listening really do understand, your studio isn't just a recording studio. It's a rehearsal space, video studio, and audio studio, right? Yeah, it's a 7,000-square-foot spot in a building, and uh, it's got like almost 20 rooms in there. Most of them in the back half of the studio are like monthly rooms where bands will rent per month, and they'll be under leases for that. And then... There's like an hourly room where bands can come in and jam by the hour with fully loaded gear and everything. Then we have the uh, the really nice looking live room and control room. And we're working on the Studio B right now because we just have too much work right now. So, uh, do you ever have noise issues? Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's my life. <laughs> noise. <laughs> so, does it ever does it bleed over into the live room or control room? Well, with the um, some of the rooms that are adjacent to the to the live room, we try to schedule them accordingly. So, if there's like a session going on, we won't schedule an hourly rehearsal or something like that. So, we try to combat that. But we're under gym, so there's there's it's always something, and it it never ever makes it onto a record. Like you never ever go and go. Hey, wow! You know what? I, th- I think I hear some footsteps or something. It's just never, especially the type of music that we do. There was a place like that here in Atlanta that it has since closed, but um, it was like the spot where like the Atlanta bands, like the the ones that you know about, like Seven Dust and mm-hmm. all those bands, uh, would rehearse. And they there were a few really huge rooms, and then of course there's like the small rooms with that a studio there. And, uh, yeah, the studio, it was almost like you may as well have just set up a studio in a band's rehearsal space <laughs> while they were practicing. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad. Like, it's it's more of a thing for the musicians who aren't used to it, obviously. The live room is mostly concrete slab on the foundation of the building, so there's nothing on the sides of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only that one room that's, like, we schedule the hourly stuff with. So that's pretty good, but... You know, it's like the gym is constantly annoying the shit out of me. And us, them, you know, we, we blast metal all day up there. So <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like for their, like, parents that come in and just like, oh, my God, what's, what's happening down there? Um, <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah, because some of these bands, like, crank really loud. But, you know, we make it work. Uh, I haven't had any complaints, really, except, except for the... Uh, the odd like stare when it happens like what is that i'm like don't worry about it it's not <laughs> <laughs> so you had the shittiest room of all for yeah free. we had the shittiest room and uh, i remember we were just jamming and like we really looked up to dillinger at that point you know like all of us in the band and we were just saying like if we could ever just play a show like open a show with them or something or maybe do a tour that would be it like that's we can stop after that you know that would be the the best thing that we could do with it with this level of you know a band and uh, then we did that tour, which was amazing for us. You know, actually play, play in front of a packed house every night. You know, not like major big venues, but like packed room with Dillinger Energy is insane. It's still a thousand cap rooms and fifteen hundred cap. Yeah, yeah. I'm I think sure. I think the tour that we did with them was a smaller tour, uh, where we were doing like smaller clubs and stuff like that. But it was it was like unnerving how intense it was. 
I'm um, sure. Yeah. So then when we got home, we played like one like coming home show with like a really killer band called like Dysrhythmia. And uh, it, I mean, it was a good show and it was still like, but it wasn't the same. It was just like, oh, man, we just did this awesome thing. And now we're back to like the local circuit thing. So we I've just, played we with just, them. They're awesome. They're, Colin is unreal as a musician. Yeah, a long time ago. But so, yeah, you were like, man, if it ain't a real tour, fuck it. <laughs> well, it was just like we got spoiled and then we were kind of out of gas at that point anyway. So we were just like, let's just call it because it was such a good, you know, like high point. Let's just not bother with it anymore. So we kind of just, <laughs> just, yeah, just like not broke up, but we just decided to just not do it anymore. And, um, then uh, I just stayed in contact with the guys, especially Ben. He's like, like I said, like one of my best friends. He lives really, really local to me too. And uh, over the years, like they, you know, were doing their thing. And then just, you know, within the last year or so, the guitar player was leaving um, after they toured with Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden. And uh, so then I was like, just joking, like not even serious. I was just like, do you want me to play the parts? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I didn't even think I could, honestly, like it's super difficult stuff. Uh, and I was just like, just like a, like a joke. And then he was like, you want to? And I was like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe let me think about it. And then he was like, okay. So then we started like the audition process, which was like really tough. And it lasted a really long time, especially because I had the studio going in tandem. I didn't know like how to handle both of those things. Uh, and I'm still working it out. But I have good help at the studio, so it's it's pretty easy. I remember seeing you freak out online yep. a couple times <laughs> about the pressure of having to learn those songs. Yeah, they were hard, man. <laughs> and it's not like it's not like there's sheet music for it or anything. It's not like I could just like pick up a tab and try to figure it out. It's all by ear and just like so I, insane. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I don't think I'm not even just joking. I don't think I'm that great of a guitar player. I think I'm good. But so is <laughs> it took a lot of hours, a lot. Of so hours. what can you describe your process for learning this stuff? Because I don't know, learning Dillinger stuff seems like uh, you'd really have to like break it down into micro sections. And like at least the way I would probably approach it is to just break it down as much as possible and memorize like a tiny thing and then another. And then sometime in the next 10 years, I would know the whole song. <laughs> That's exactly what I did though. I just tried to expedite that really quickly. Um, I remember the first time I heard this is a song Prancer off the last record, the, the intro. I didn't, the first time I heard it and had Ben play it for me in person, I didn't understand what was happening. I like, couldn't follow it at all. And I was like, I was like lamenting learning. I was like, Oh, this is going to be terrible. And I sat down with the track and I just like, like you said, I looped the first like four or five notes <laughs> until I got the rhythm. And then I would just like finally get that after like 10, 20 minutes. And then I would add in the next five notes and then I would go back and play the 10 notes. And I would just keep adding to this piece. And eventually <laughs> I would eventually get a song. a song. Eventually, yeah, it took forever. And then I would play in front of Ben and be like, how close am I? And then he would uh, correct me on when I was wrong and such and such, but uh, that's, now, that's the process. Now, does he know music terminology, or is he just one of those dudes who plays it like he hears it? And Yeah, I mean, he knows it well enough, but he's he's definitely more of a feel player than he is like a technical, like, schooled guy. You know, there's definitely those guys that, that come from, like, the, the jazz kind of vibe uh, and can cite every mode of every scale, you know, in well, every Well, I mean, spot. like, would he be able to tell you, like, this isn't 7-8, 
going a seven eight emphasis on the four and the six or something. No, okay. I, I don't think so. And not to say that he couldn't, but he's usually not that kind of person. He writes, but that's not how it was. Ex- the music was explained to you. No, no. And actually, okay. that's where my background is because from my old drummer in that band who taught me like everything uh, was very rigorous in the, the whole rhythm thing and time signature thing. We would write out all our parts notation wise and stuff. And that's where I come from because. So when I was going to Dillinger, I would ask them, like, like you know, is this, uh, is this a, on the anda of the seven or like what, where is it in the phrase? Because it's I'm not locking it or something, and they, it was hard for them to get that across to me. They were just like, you got to feel it. It's like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so they're just naturally better, <laughs> and I, I need like the rule book, and they just like are the rule book kind of thing. That that's really kind of fascinating to me because that's. That's kind of freaky, actually, to just kind of feel that kind of music. Like, what, yeah. the, what kind of wires need to be like? <laughs> I don't want to say crossed because Dillinger is an awesome band, and Ben's clearly a brilliant dude. Yeah. So and cool. So I don't want to say crossed because crossed implies bad. But like, something in the wiring is different for sure. To just be able to feel that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even the first time I heard Dillinger, like my my band at the time was getting into them, and they had told me like you got to get the CD calculating infinity. So I went out to the store because you know I didn't want to be that guy that was like, no, I'm not gonna, no, I'm not gonna listen to this. So I went to the <laughs> store and I bought the CD in like the whatever store it was, Fye or something, and uh, put it in my car and just started listening to it, and I hated it. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand what's happening. It just sounds like a mess. So I gave it away to my other friend. I was like, I don't want this. Uh, I just can't get into this. And then uh, it wasn't until like years later where I tried it again. My ear had, I wasn't into like super heavy music at that time. I think that the heaviest thing I had listened to was like Poison the Well or something, which was not that. <laughs> no. And yeah, so my ear wasn't there yet. And then so like, you know, gradually the guys kept like, like you know, shoving more heavy music down my throat and stuff and you know, we would get crazier with the band, and then slowly, I I tried it again. You know, listening to it like in like a year or two, and I was like, oh my god, what the hell is wrong with me? <laughs> this is unreal. Like, I don't, I still don't understand it, but it's so like I can actually hear it now. So, how long would it take you to like learn a song? Oh, uh, god, um, it's tough because it it was like, you know, I would work in the studio all day for like ten hours or something, and then I would come home at like ten p.m. And I would have to spend from 10 to like 2 in the morning trying to learn a song. I was just so like tired. All uh, right. That's great to know. I just kind of want to talk about that for a little bit, just how much work that actually took. Because uh, I get asked that quite a bit, like, how do I get into a bigger band? Or this band says they're auditioning. Do you think you could like talk to them for me? And it's like, yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> but like, I think that a lot of dudes who think – they are committed think that they could possibly get into a bigger band and i find that a lot of people and this isn't their fault they just don't know any different but a lot of people don't understand how much work it actually does take and yeah it could be that you have to work 10 hour days in the studio have your ears and brain completely shot and then go home and practice for four hours yeah yeah it's 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 i mean it's it's the only option i had you know that i was auditioning against another guy you know, I won't say who he is but he was in a good band and he was a good guitar player too and uh, I was just like that kept me going it's just like I don't in a way like if I didn't get in because like I wasn't good enough or something like that that would be acceptable but if I didn't get in because I lost to somebody else I would be so pissed 
<laughs> so, like, yeah. that, that kind of just kept me going too. I was just like, I really want to just, you know, I want to do this. And, uh, you know, everybody around me was super supportive too, which was really helpful. You know, all the guys at the studio that I would like, I didn't want to tell many people cause it, you know, you don't want to say, Oh, I might join this band. <laughs> um, yeah, don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah don't want to do that. So I told like a few like close friends and stuff like that, what was going on in my life. And, uh, you know, everybody was like super supportive. And they're like, dude, you have to do this. So that really just reaffirmed it. And actually Will Putney did too. I spoke I know, to him. I was part of that conversation. Yeah. I was, you know what? Like the fact that you were hesitant about it, I've actually seen that before. Mm-hmm. Um, a few times, like, uh, I helped a few dudes, leave their local bands and get like real gigs Yeah. in the past. Like just when I would know that a touring band like lost a guitar player, if I had recorded a guitar player that I knew needed to just needed to get beyond the local scene. Right. Uh, like, uh, like Ryan Knight, for instance, like who just left Black Dahlia, but like, I don't know if you're familiar with his playing, but he's godly and, uh, he was always godly. It was just one of these things where it's like this dude, does not need to be in a local band. But the thing is that uh, every time that I've tried to do that, dudes are hesitant to leave their bands or hesitant to, like, take it on. So I, when I saw that you were a little hesitant or not sure about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. <laughs> you you got to fucking do it. Yeah, it's it's it, you really do. It's just it's tough. Like, I guess I kind of thrive um, in putting myself in, like, really tough situations. In all the bands I've played in, I uh, the, the first one... Uh, the one after that, which was called Mothership, which was like a crazy prog band with like four keyboards and all kinds of ridiculous. It was like kind of like Yes on crack in a way. And uh, I just always put myself in these bands where I'm the shittiest member. <laughs> and I, 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 get, I get better just because of my surroundings. Like same thing with Dillinger, like playing with Billy, the drummer is, is unreal. And I've been spoiled because I've always played with really, really killer drummers. But man. It's like it's super humbling, and you just like you're pretty much constantly playing catch up because those guys are so talented, and it's just like and it's just like raw because you know in the studio we see talent all the time, but it's like you know when you see like raw like natural talent, like it's just like holy shit, like these guys can play, <laughs> and and they don't need to know all the rules, you know they just they just they like I said they create them. It's crazy. I think if you make it a goal in life to uh, work with people that are smarter than you and play with musicians that are better than you, you're probably going to do okay. <laughs> it seems to work for me. I don't know. <laughs> it's worked for me too. I, that's how I got into college, essentially, the, the, the audio program. Like I, I wasn't supposed to get in the program, but I like weaseled my way in and I went to the first class, even though I wasn't like in the program or something. And eventually they were like, fine, you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It so, does. Uh, so, I mean, let's talk about that too, uh, about the, how many different things you juggle because um, a lot of guys who listen to this podcast and want to go pro uh, like they have to they're going to school and they're working a job or they're working a full-time job and all that or they have like a wife and a job and they also want to do music mm-hmm. and uh, you know so you balanced both uh, the rehearsal business the studio your studio plus being a good enough musician to to you know get that gig and tour and all that like how do you go about balancing all this kind of stuff it's definitely one of the hardest things for sure i know um my girlfriend christina is but like i said she's super supportive with everything i do but it's definitely not easy especially on us sometimes it's just like 
sometimes I just don't have enough time to be home. And that's kind of a bummer for both of us, obviously, but uh, it's it's hard to, to wrangle it all because, you know, early on in your career, you definitely want to take every record you can. You know, you don't want to turn things down. Even if you don't have the time, you still don't want to say no. You still want to be like, yeah, I'll figure it out somehow, you know? So I was just yeah, taking on too much. like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, you, <laughs> but you become big enough where you can get help and like outside and outsource things, certain things here and there. And, and like you can kind of manage time better where... For me, for a long time, I didn't want anybody in my studio but myself. So I never had an intern. I never had an assistant for a long time. And I slowly, by necessity, just had to have somebody else there. And I had to let somebody in my circle. So I, I have a couple guys now at the studio that kind of like help me. Like they're working there right now doing a bunch of projects and stuff. So I don't even have, it's very hands off right now. It's awesome. I do have a lot of projects to do, but they're also doing a lot of stuff as well, uh, which makes it easier for me to go home kind of on time now where I, I used to just be really bad at it. Now I can kind of get home for dinner, <laughs> you know? So it's definitely, it's a, it's a learning process and still on these, these tours, it's definitely, um, sometimes it's a mess trying to deal with people calling me in Mexico or something on my cell phone to schedule a rehearsal that night at the studio. And it's a time difference and trying to get that on the calendar and relay that information to the other guys. It's, it's not exactly the easiest thing, but you know. And any pro tips for that? Oh man, get a calendar and <laughs> live by your calendar. Essentially, it's really what I do. Which if, one do you use? I just use Google Calendar because, like, I know there's like it's either you're an Apple guy or you're a Google person. Uh, I just happen to be a Google person, and uh, it's just like I need I need to have. If it's not on my calendar, I'll probably forget it. Doesn't, it it's doesn't gonna exist. Yeah. <laughs> So even yeah, we know the feeling. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure everybody here does. It's it's tough. Uh, and then like, I've also done a lot of work behind the stage too, like teching for bands. So I really feel like it's important for guys who are trying to come up in this world to to not like look away at other opportunities. Like try if somebody comes up with you and asks you to do something, just whatever it is, a gig, just do it. it doesn't matter what it is. You know, even if you're not qualified. I was talking to someone yesterday who works with a lot of really big bands, like between the Barry and me and stuff like that. And uh, he's he's doing a gig soon, and he thinks he's maybe not qualified to do it. But, you know, he knows the deal. He's been on tons of tours, and he's like, I just got to learn it. So he came in the studio and just, like, reheading all my like, drum sets and tuning them and learning how to do that, just putting in the hours just because he knows, like, he can't do the job maybe that great yet, but he, he's going to take the job, and he's going to learn as he goes. And that's, what you, that's the attitude you have to have. You have to Throw just, like... Throw yourself into the deep end. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's what'll make him great at it, too. I mean, it's just that sort of conquering attitude and execution, really. Yes. Yeah. If you say no, you probably aren't going to get the opportunity again. Yeah. Um, I actually went on tour teching for a couple people, and the first time that it ever even came up was um, literally two days before... The thing, and I, I've never been a guitar tech before. I never worked with Floyd Rose guitars and just kind of taught myself everything and just figured I've toured enough. I know what guitar techs do. I'm going to fucking do it. And uh, it was scary, but it's a good thing to do. Yeah. So, but you've, t- you've teched for like bands like the Deftones and stuff. Yeah. Right? That, that's not, that's no small deal. <laughs> yeah, especially because. Like, I learned guitar pretty much from, like, when I was growing up from, like, Stefan's riffs. So when he asked me to, like, help him out, I was, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> it was so <laughs> weird. <laughs> He's like, can you help me, man? I was like, how, 
how can I help you? <laughs> how does that how does that happen? Like how did uh, I guess it goes kind of back to well, pretty much all the things in my musical career. I pretty much attribute to hanging around Ben. He's like like he's like like also like an older brother in a way. Like I have an older brother who's cool, but Ben's like the older brother I wanted. <laughs> um, so he's like every time we're doing something uh, on tour or like you know like I'm teching or something like that, hanging out. He's like really good about introducing me to you know whoever's in the room, you know like whatever big deal guys in that room. He's not he never like forgets. He's always makes it a point to just you know even before I was in the band and stuff. So uh, those and, and he's always bringing me into these situations that like I would never ever be in. So like I remember specifically this one night he was like we were talking about the Deftones were coming in town uh, in New Jersey and I was like do you want to go are, are you gonna go because he usually goes to the you know the local shows and stuff too he was like yeah I have a plus one if you want to go and I like I was like super fried on the weekend I just did like a bunch of sessions and I was just like I didn't really want to go out and I was actually like had the conversation with my girlfriend I was like do you think I should go <laughs> and she was like I don't do you want to go I was like I don't know I'm kind of tired I just want to like relax. And then I like kind of just like made myself go. I was just like, I mean, not that I shouldn't want to go, <laughs> but I was just super tired. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to regret it if I don't go. So I went. And then, you know, after the show, Ben's like, do you want to go meet the guys and hang out backstage and stuff? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm like a huge <laughs> mega fan. So um, I actually met uh, Stefan once before when he first got his Axe Effects because I, I was using the Axe Effects like when it first came out. And when he had got it, they were on tour with Dillinger, and the guys in Dillinger told him that, like, you know, they have a friend in New Jersey that, like, like knows the thing in and out. So I, I went in one day to help Stefan kind of, like, get acclimated to it a little bit and stuff. But that was very brief. And then, so at this show in Montclair, New Jersey, I met him again, and he was just kind of sitting on the steps, and he just looked kind of sad. <laughs> so we were talking. I didn't think he was going to remember me, because, you know, like, someone that sees that many people every day, I, I wouldn't hold it against him to just not remember who I am. Yeah, so, but you brought some value into his life probably yeah, with that Axe Effects. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was hoping he would remember me, but, like, honestly, like, I've had dudes rock star me before, like, that I've worked in the studio with, <laughs> <laughs> like, on a, you know, a first-name basis, like, next to each other, and it's, you know, I'm like, whatever. So I don't expect anything from anybody. So he did. He remembered me, totally. And then he, he was like, dude, can we go talk outside on the, like, on the balcony? I was like, all right, cool. So then he told me about like how um, he was struggling with like the Axe Effects as a unit, and he needed some help to kind of like hone in his sound. And I didn't, I didn't know what to say. It's just like, dude, your sound is unreal. Like you have a very defining sound. You know, like I, I can't possibly help you. <laughs> you know, like you know your sound better than anybody. So, but he asked for my help personally, and like he's like, I'll fly you out to my house and we can work on these patches and blah, blah, blah together. And he's like, what are you doing in like a couple weeks? I was like, whatever the <laughs> fuck you want. <laughs> yeah, like, what am I going to say? Oh, I'm kind of busy. Yeah. <laughs> if you twist my arm. <laughs> so I went out there and, and we went over his stuff and, you know, made, started the relationship then. And then after we worked on the patches for like a bunch of the records, he was like, let's, would you want to take these out on the road with me and kind of kind of like work on them and tweak them out on the road because obviously the stage environment is different than a control environment and uh so i was like yeah of course definitely and then so we went on the road i remember standing outside the tour bus and he was like all right man so so do you want to because they have a really big crew like they have they have one tour bus 
for the band and then a whole tour bus for the crew, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. That means that they actually care about their crew members too. Um, yep. So we, he was like, do you want to be on the, the band bus or the crew bus? <laughs> it was like a trick question. I was like, really? <laughs> You're giving me the option? I was like, I definitely <laughs> want to be on the band bus. He's like, okay, I was just making sure. So wow. I, that was so unreal. Like, like being that's kind of that like a badge of honor. <laughs> it was unreal. And at the same time, like I could tell, like everybody in the crew is super nice. But I could tell that they were like, you're a fucking dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that'll that happen. But, I mean, everybody was super cool on that tour. Everybody was super helpful. Because I'm like, like I said, I'm, I'm used to being the new guy. I'm used to, like, not knowing what I'm doing. So everybody's very, very helpful with, like, telling me what to do and, like, how people like their stuff and, like, getting, you know, you know acclimated to everything. Uh, one of my favorite dudes on the crew was Aaron Harris, who used to play in ISIS. He's uh <laughs> man, I feel so bad for them. <laughs> we can't even talk about their <laughs> band anymore. I know. It's like you say he used to play for ISIS, it's like he's in Syria. It's like <laughs> so all right, so yeah, so he used to would play guitar in ISIS? Uh drums. Oh drums, okay, yeah. sorry. Their Aaron Turner was the guitar player singer guy. So this is Aaron Harris. Yeah, yeah. Okay. S- like super smart guy, also like another engineering production guy, uh does a lot of good stuff and uh he was just, he's like really quiet mannered, but he's so smart and so helpful. And the way he tuned Abe's drum kit I, every night, I was just like watching, I'm like, dude, can you teach me that? Because <laughs> you do it so well. And the, the, I mean, get, Abe plays like a monster anyway, but, um, you know, just learning all those little things here and there, it's definitely helpful along the road. And I'm sure that that's made you a more valuable band member too. Yeah. I mean, I try to, I've always wanted to, you know, if any way I can add value to it, something I, I try, you know, like I told the band when I, you know, where maybe um, I'll fall short in this area or something like that. Maybe I can make up for it in another area. Like, you know, we can use my studio for whatever we need to, you know, just the other night we were there working on some kind of like a new project with this, this, there's this crazy string trio in like New York city area that did like a couple of Dillinger covers and it's insane sounding. Like they co- covered a song called "43 Percent Burnt" uh, with, that song? With, with strings. <laughs> nice, that's crazy. And it sounds great. I mean, it sounds insane, but it sounds great. So we brought them in, and we started like jamming on just like some some crazy stuff the other night. And uh, I don't know what it's going to turn into, but it's definitely cool. <laughs> so that I just thought of this. Um, I just have to say this. Sorry for taking a left turn, but sure. before we forget, you know weird way that the mind associates things we need to talk about gear gods for a second <laughs> oh, are we going to talk about what we talked about earlier yeah a okay. little a little bit of it uh so wait wait is there anything else to say about that string trio other than that's insane that they would try to cover that um the they're super talented like like again being in the room with them uh it's just like i don't belong here <laughs> i really do not belong in the room with these guys but uh it's an honor to be there and just like seeing them shred. And it's weird. Like I had not heard the track we were working on before at all. And then to be thrown into that is another thing. Like I'm not really great at improv, but I try to hang, you know, and it was just like, all right, we're going to play the song now with these guys who are like, <laughs> like again, everybody in the room, like Ben was in the room and Billy, the drummer was in the room. I just felt super outclassed. <laughs> But, uh, That's a good thing, though. It's a good spot to be in, and it's it's the worst spot to be in, but it's also a great spot to be in because you kind of watch this magic happen in front of you all the time. 
I just feel like that's the kind of attitude you need if you're going to keep on advancing and keep on being valuable to other people. You mm-hmm. need to kind of feel humbled yeah. or else I feel like you'll get cocky and lazy. That's just human nature. Um, I mean, I've said this before, but the best example I can think of is that Jeff Loomis still takes guitar lessons because yeah. he feels because he feels like he's still got shit to learn. If he didn't think that way, he probably wouldn't be as good as he is. Right. Alex Golan's the same way. He still takes guitar lessons too. Like, Does all he? The time. That yeah. makes figures. Yeah. <laughs> know who doesn't take guitar lessons? Ingve. Huh. <laughs> I he wonder if he's the lesson. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he's ever taken a lesson in his life. That's a good question. I kind of doubt it. So, all right, let's talk about Alex for a second. <laughs> Gonna jump right into it. <laughs> yeah, we, do, we have to because we're running out of time. And okay. This just needs to be said. Uh, Alex Nasla from Gear Gods. I learned something amazing about him today. He's just like everywhere at once, omniscient, omnipresent. <laughs> so you know that we mix critted him last month, and uh, we were particularly brutal. We didn't know it was Alex from Gear Gods while we were doing it, but he was a real good sport about it. But then he won one of our giveaways, which I just found out today. Which one did he win? Uh, he got a gift, uh, gift certificate, and he used it to buy monitor stands. <laughs> yeah, was so the Sweetwater one? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that was our, like, uh, consolation prize for, <laughs> <laughs> for getting trashed on the mix crit. Um, <laughs> I, can I go back and watch this mix crit? Uh, uh, yeah, you can listen to it. You can yeah. listen to it. Yeah. Okay. Send me that link afterwards. <laughs> I will. He had to work on his harpsichord, man. It was rough. <laughs> I was like Stradivarius, Black Diamond, or get the fuck out. It was like this band has a vocalist, but have you heard the harpsichord? <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I met man. you through Alex yeah. too, and uh, Nam, right? <laughs> yeah, at that pool party. That's where I was going next. Alex is like the center of the world right now. Like, what's going on, <laughs> it's man? Little, it's a really weird place we live in. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, so he introduced you guys on Nam, which is why you're now on the show. And, Thanks, uh, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, dude, Alex is awesome. Yeah, we we Tell were hanging you. out with Alex at the the um, uh, what was it called? It was a after party. By the pool. It was at, party, right? Yeah, the revolver party at at Nam at the uh, the hotel near the convention center. And so, yeah, that's that's when I actually met you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Good times. Hey, are you going to finish that anecdote? No. <laughs> oh, you're not? Is that it? Oh, oh um, I saw Alex a little bit later, too. Uh, just he's, he's every single place at once. But uh, I think that Alex wasn't supposed to introduce you guys. <laughs> he introduced <laughs> us in kind of a weird manner. Like, it would have been one thing if he was like, hey, because uh, I know him from the Gear Guys dudes because I usually roll with them at NAMM. Um, we're all good friends. Uh, you're, you know, Metal Sucks, Metal Injection. Um, yeah, those guys are awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good, they're good bros. And, we love uh, them. So... We were, you guys were standing around, you had like a little circle going on, and I just had walked in because my flight just got in. And Alex was like, hey, Kevin, this is Joey Sturgis. And obviously, I know who you are through the internet. <laughs> I've never met you personally up until then. And then he, it, that would have been fine. <laughs> that that would have been enough of an introduction. Like, oh, hey, man, nice to meet you. <laughs> but then he drops... Um, he, you reviewed that plugin of his. <laughs> yeah. like, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. And, you know, like I gave it like a indifferent kind of review at the time. So like it was super 
awkward. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, hey. <laughs> no, it's it's funny. The reason why that happened is we were talking about it right before you walked up to our circle. Oh, really? Yeah. I was talking about like Gear Gods, you know, their involvement with JST up to that point. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. And you guys remember that review where there was this super weird sound clip that caught everyone off guard? <laughs> <laughs> Like, so, yeah. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. I guess timing. that just goes back to Alex being omniscient and omnipresent because you talked about the review and then he conjured Kevin <laughs> to just show up. There's something about this guy. Yeah, he was a great addition to the circle. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So but you guys but you guys clearly uh got over any weirdness. Oh yeah, I I I mean, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't bother Joey either. <laughs> no, I've I've been a fan of of Dillinger and and uh, so for me it was a pleasure just to be talking to anybody associated with him. So it's pretty cool. But oh, awesome. then Thanks. to find out that you know he did the review, I was like, oh okay, cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't care if the review was bad or good. I was just like. <laughs> I didn't know he at the time. Almost you know? pushed him in the pool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had no idea. I just was super caught off guard by like I Drop thought maybe you. you had like hated me for like <laughs> the review. You know, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> and then he was just like, "Hey, you reviewed this plugin, asshole!" And I was like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you." <laughs> <laughs> maybe if the plugin had hadn't have done very well, then maybe I would have pushed you into the pool. But <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. Well, you got to you can't take yourself too seriously. Exactly. You got to take everything with a grain of salt and try to have a little bit of fun exactly. with it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's not like you were like fuck JST, they shouldn't even be in business. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good We still want to push you into the pool. For sure. It's not like a bad plugin at all. We still use it at studio. Actually, you know what? We haven't used it in a while cuz I don't have a 64-bit version. Oh, okay. I'll send you that to you today. Sweet. <laughs> so that's that's cool. Still use it. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, then that's our shout out to Gear Gods. What do you do with them, by the way? Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of like the weird redheaded stepchild of that crew, I guess. <laughs> um, really good friends with Frank from Metal Injection. Uh, we hang out like on a regular basis all the time. But the other guys, uh, now we started doing some new stuff with Gear Gods called Ask a Producer. Um, mm-hmm. I guess they're trying to like, get more. I, I think you did some stuff like that at one point, didn't you? For them? Yeah, like in association or on their site or something. I've done so many different things with them. Yeah, I've done that sort of thing. And all. I've made a few videos for them that were kind of like that a while ago with this. For this chick named Xena Coda. Oh, I know Xena. <laughs> yeah, but it ended up for Gear Gods, I believe. I don't, man, I've just, I've done so much stuff for people involved with the Blast Beat Network that it, uh, I almost don't remember all the specifics. So uh, I guess it, it, we started doing, re- we have some reviews that we've done with them. And then, well, actually, I could probably wrap this in. I don't know how much more time we have, but um, myself and Jesse Zaretti from Binary Code uh, were actually maybe like a year or two ago, probably two years ago by now, we're going to start a website for like gear reviews and local music and uh, it was good. We had like this awesome layout and everything planned, and um, you know we had we had almost just finished it and like started really like going and in, de- delving into it pretty hard, and then Gear Gods launched their site like immediately <laughs> after we had started getting some ground on it. So we were like, well, we can't compete with that. You know, there's no way. So we kind of just like you know just dropped the whole thing. And then I started talking to those those guys about that stuff. So we started doing some reviews and stuff like that of gear, uh, gear gods. But then they came down to the studio for the first time, 
And it's weird. Like that's how I met my Vigier rep, who's the the guitar company that I use for Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him through Gear Gods, and that's how I got hooked up with that. And also, that's how Frank and from Metal Injection uh, came down into the studio. And now we use the studio all the time. Like we we do this thing uh, for actually in February. Uh, it's a uh, black metal history. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um we do these videos like once a year like last year it was this there's this necrosexual guy who's like a black metal dude who dresses in the corpse paint he's like he's a hilarious dude in person and uh it was pretty much i played in that skit i played the engineer producer who you know who had to work on this guy's record and he was like the worst client possible like uh if you watch the video like we're setting up the drum set and the mics I'm setting up like a couple mics in there. He's like, no, only one mic. <laughs> <laughs> That's then, amazing. Like, yeah, we set up like the guitar stack and I have all these amps. And he just keeps like, we're dialing in the sound. He just keeps adding more and more treble. Just keeps going. <laughs> and then it sounds terrible. We, eventually it just starts turning into like white noise on the fader. <laughs> but that's uh, the kind of the, th- the thing. We just did another one of those for this month that's going to be coming out where like now that we did his record, finally... And I thought I would never have to see him again. He shows up like in my backyard with gear and he wants to do a festival at my house. <laughs> so I agreed. <laughs> I agreed to have this festival with him and the condition that I never have to see him again. And it it, it goes in places that I never thought it was going to go that day. But it gets really weird. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it should be fun. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know what it's going to look like. But I'm assuming Frank did a good job with it. Fucking Frank. I hope he did. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Uh, well, it sounds like you've got your hands in everything. You gotta try to be busy. <laughs> uh, honestly, I think it's my that, motto. Yeah, I think this was actually a really good networking episode because, uh, like, literally every single thing that you said that you talked about here, besides obviously working your ass off, mm. like all of the different things that you talked about being able to achieve and be a part of, all result from. Obviously, you're great at networking. I guess I am. <laughs> well, the reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, a lot of people don't understand how it works. And so our real punishers about it. And, you know, it's a hard thing to try to explain to people that you just kind of have to be around and be cool and be around long enough for people to trust you and just keep being cool and give them some value when they need it. And, uh, you know don't fuck up right it's funny that 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 term punisher has made it so far like i would love to know where the origin of that is because i remember it's the best it's amazing and i don't know where i was when i first heard i mean i do remember where i was i was actually at a dillinger show and i was teching for them we're on tour with them and someone was punishing someone and they had brought that term up i was like what does that mean that sounds so awesome (laughs) 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 like i want to know what that means you know and then i still hear it like all over the place now and like i'm still in like circles where like like my intern said, like was in the room and someone brought it up, and then uh, he was like, "What does that word mean?" And I'm like, "Oh, this is awesome." <laughs> he doesn't know what the word means yet. So then we tried to explain it to him, and like he says it in all the wrong context. So like, no, that's not what it means. Tell him to go stand at the merch booth for a half hour, <laughs> and he'll know what's exactly. up. Exactly. Oh, dude, Punisher is just—it's just the best way to describe. It really is that thing. Yeah. There, I've heard other other words to describe, but nothing works quite like Punisher. Because <laughs> it really is punishing to be in the presence of that. <laughs> like, it just hurts. Yeah. 
It definitely does. And you can't say anything. Like, what do you... <laughs> you have to no, pull someone aside like, dude, come on, relax. It gives me... There were a lot of punishers in South America, man. I got cornered by this one guy, and he was, like, spitting in my face and screaming at me because the proximity there is a lot closer between people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was just, like... He was, like, right in my face. Like, I could touch him with the two or three fingers and he was just screaming at me about like dude is this band fucking shit they're fucking noise and i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> like is it good or is it bad like i didn't understand it was and it went on for like 45 minutes until i had security remove him <laughs> yeah don't don't be a punisher that's the the moral of the story but uh i feel like in south america too they're a little bit crazier than most places about like guitar picks and like memorabilia type things oh yeah like, they are relentless about it. Not that it's not a big deal to give somebody a guitar pick, but, like, I remember specifically I didn't have any, or I only had, like, five left for the next show or something, and they were, like, <laughs> they were like unruly about it. And I was like, dude, I really only have, like, five picks left. <laughs> I need these to play. <laughs> no, you need to give the picks to me because I need to remember this moment forever. <laughs> It's like, what are you going to, and then it's like, I don't have, I didn't, at the time I didn't have like a signature pick. I'm like, you can literally buy this on Amazon or any place. It's, it's not, not like- the same. You have not touched it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it gets kind of weird, but hey, whatever. Yeah. Bring extra picks. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Give them the picks. Yeah. You get left it. alone. It's a learning process. You know, I, yeah. I have to buy a ton so I can know like, half of them will be thrown away. They've been marinating on your bus. Yeah, if you ever get surrounded by a bunch of Punishers, just throw a bunch of picks across the room and watch them scatter away from you. You can <laughs> duck, out, duck out of there. Oh, jeez. So good. All right. Well, uh, cool, man. Thanks for coming on. You've been a thoroughly uh, awesome guest. Thanks for having me. It's good to meet you guys finally, like, you know, in the real world, you know, like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the real world of uh, podcasting ether. yeah thanks a lot kevin thanks for being on the show thanks it's a pleasure yes real quick are there any links or anything you want us to put on here uh sure um the studio uh would be cool uh it's just www.backroom.studio it's one of those crazy new things where you don't have to have a dot com i don't understand it yet but that's a thing well, there you go. Backdoor.studio. <laughs> Backdoor.com is, it, is it the site. Um, obviously, you know, Backdoor. the Dillinger Hot, escape dude. plan. <laughs> the Dillinger site's a, a no-brainer. And then, like, I guess maybe this other one that I, I started working with, this company called Middle Beard Club. Mm-hmm. So for all middle beard dudes, you can get stuff like that. I know the beard culture is, like, insane right now. I don't understand it necessarily, but uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's... I'm sure you get it all the time from people. Oh, Here's man. The, the more massive and, and gnarly your beard looks, the more weirdos come up to you and try to grab it. <laughs> you know, I, I got to say that that kind of, it makes me uncomfortable. Totally. Because it's like, why why are you hitting on me? <laughs> That's kind of what it is, man. Like, I've had people just stop me and just be like, hey, man, uh, I don't want to bother you, but I just want to compliment you on your really nice beard. It's like, Wow. Like it's, it's like so strange. <laughs> it's kind of like like walking up to a girl that in the middle of nowhere and telling her she's got beautiful eyes. It's just weird. <laughs> beardos. We'll call them beardos. Yeah. It's just weird. Fucking beardos. Oh, weirdo and beards. Beardos. Beardos. beardos yeah. For sure. Oh, for. But it's not just beardos, man. It's a lot of non-bearded people who will come up and like confide in me that they don't know how to grow one. It's like, well, don't shave. Like, <laughs> there's really not it? much to it <laughs> there's definitely not much to it just don't just for men gel the only way yeah, just don't shave 
All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. Awesome. We'll talk to you again, hopefully. All right, guys. Take care. All right. See you later. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Drumforge. Drumforge is a forward-thinking developer of audio tools and software for musicians and producers alike. Founded on the idea that great drum sound should be obtainable for everyone. We focus on your originality. Drumforge, it's your sound. Go to drumforge.com for more info. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit nailthemix.com slash podcast and subscribe today.